Thank you for visiting the openword.org, where you can find a verse-by-verse exposition of almost the entire Holy Bible and other theological resources. Welcome to the next part of the series from Alan Schaefer. Anyway, so let's get back to uh, Galatians chapter 4. And uh, side B of the tape didn't come out, but side A did. So those of you who want to... By the way, um, you can borrow any of the tapes for free. Well, you can borrow side B. You can borrow any of them for free. If you want to keep them, they're a dollar a piece. So you can... If there's a class you really like or you want to, whatever, it's just a buck for the, there's two tapes per night, so it would be two bucks a night. And if you want them, that's fine. If you don't, that's fine, too. I do this because, like, uh, some of the people, you can't get here every night. Yeah, that's, well, you know, what can you do? Um, Anyways, we're in Galatians chapter 4. We got down to verse 21, two covenants. Um. Paul says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, don't you hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through the promise, which things are symbolic, for these are two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him, was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of a free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. This goes back to the discussion of Hagar and um, Sarah. And if you remember the story back in in, um, Genesis, God shows up to Abraham and tells him, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. I'm going to bless you and make your name great. And in you will all the seed of the earth be blessed. All nations be blessed. And at what age did Abraham receive this promise? He was 75, right? All right. So Abraham's 75 years old when he gets his promise. And at that age, he did not have as of yet a son. But God says, uh, I'm going to give you an heir. And Abraham believed God. Okay? Now, when did God show up and tell Abraham... At this time next year, you will have a son. How old was he? I think it was 99, wasn't he? If I remember right. All right, so 99. Now that's, uh, what, 24 years? So God tells Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. I'll give you an heir. And Abraham waits. And he waits. And he waits, and he's getting older. And he waits, and he waits. And what happened when he was around 88 or 89 years old? What did he do? He said, well, i got to help God out because he's not going to be able to pull it off, I think. And what did he do? He had a son by Hagar. And how old was he when that happened? 
I don't think the scripture says, but I think Ishmael was about 12 when Isaac was born, if I remember right. So that would place it what, somewhere around 88, I think it is, if I'm, if I'm thinking right. All right. So at 88 years old, we have Ishmael. Okay. And then when Abraham was 100, we have the birth of Isaac, his son. Now, think about this. God told Abraham, I'll make a great nation out of you. And Abraham believed God. He believed what God told him. And by the way, just so you know, they dug up some tablets. Um, I think it's the Ebla tablets, if I'm not mistaken. And they found on that the legal code of the Hittite civilization. And in fact, the Hittite civilization had legal stipulations whereby if you did not have an heir, your wife could have a surrogate child by one of the servants of the house or by some designated person that she would designate that would become your heir. Okay? That was all part of the legal system that they had whereby that would work. And so what Sarah did was something that was part of the legal custom of that day. It was perfectly binding and no doubt Abraham and Sarah thought, well, we'll give God a hand. Maybe that's the way God's going to answer the promise. Now it's interesting because you go to Romans chapter 2 and chapter 4 and you read this stuff and you often think, well, if Abraham was such a man of faith, why did he do this? You ever think that? Because it says in Romans 4, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. So he believed God. He believed God would give him an heir. What was his problem? He wanted to give God a hand. And when he gave God a hand, what did he do? He just fouled everything up. Okay? The point is this. God didn't need Abraham's help. All right? Um, and Abraham said, I'll give God a hand. I'll help God out. And maybe the way God's going to answer this is this way. All right? And we have Ishmael and the entire Arab nation today is due to the fact that Abraham just did not sit out and wait for God to fulfill his promise. But for 24 years, Abraham waited. But in the end, what it says here, now, now here's what, he, what, what Paul is trying to get at. Isaac came by what? By the promise. God promised him a son, Isaac. How did Ishmael come? By Abraham's human effort. This is the child of the bondwoman. This is the child of the free woman. This is bondage. This is freedom. This is law. This is promise. And he's trying to draw a distinction here showing that God's promises to Abraham were not accomplished through the law, through the bondage, but through God's own sovereign promise, i.e., by Isaac. And it says here that Isaac was born according to the flesh. What does it mean? Abraham said, I will give God a hand to pull this thing off. And God didn't need to be given a hand to pull it off. He could have done it just as well without Abraham's help. And he said these are just symbolic. He's, Paul is drawing a symbology here to show how the bondage, the, 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 the child of bondage was not the heir, was he? 
done. You're just. No. Yep. It's an illustration. Yeah. But the point is that God made the promise to Abraham that it would be a child from Abraham and Sarah. But they started thinking about ways in which they could give God a hand to pull this thing off. And legally, the child that Hagar bore was, as far as the Hittite culture concerned, the child of Abraham and Sarah. All right? I mean, that's how the Hittites would have... And Abraham and Sarah probably thought, well, that's the way God's going to answer his promise. They wanted to give God a hand. And whenever you assist God, you foul things up. God doesn't need your help. And uh, what he's doing here is he's talking about how the, he then makes the comparison here that Sinai, the bondage, the law, is in Arabia, and now it's in Jerusalem. Jerusalem has now become the center of bondage for the Israelite because it is the law now from Jerusalem that they're trying to keep in order to attain salvation. It's bondage. It's not promise. It is bondage. It is flesh. And it says even now it's in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, which is a mother of us all, who is us all the ones who believe. We are of the child of promise, not the child of bondage. That's what it says in verse 28. But we, brethren, as Isaac are, was our children of promise. But as he was born according to the flesh, then persecuted him was born according to the spirit, even so it is now. What did Ishmael do to Isaac? Persecuted him. Now how do you say that? Well, look at the Arabs today. The Arabs and Israelites all have the same common father, Abraham, but they've traced it to a different son of Abraham, one to Ishmael, and one to Isaac. And I don't know if you know much about Muslim and Islam and all that. You might want to take a little bit of time and just learn basically what they believe. But see, they would say that the child of promise was not Isaac, but Ishmael. And the Bible says it is Isaac and not Ishmael. But they trace it back to Ishmael. And even today, the Arabs hate the Jews. Even though they're technically brothers, they hate them. And they persecute them. And Paul's just showing how this is an allegory of being under bondage, under law. Now, how is it that they're persecuted? Okay? Well, well I mean, stop and think about this. Are you, have, how many of you have had the privilege of being around a legalistic Christian? Do you enjoy yourself? Why? They're always judgmental. <gasps> you went to a movie? You're damned. I've heard that. You have a TV in your house? Oh, that's the devil's box. Yeah, oh, you, boy, you're, you're, you're Satan's right-hand man working there. I mean, who wants to be around them people? And what do they do to those of us who have freedom in Christ? Well, we're the... We're the licentious, evil, wicked mob, aren't we? No standards, a bunch of pagans. No, we understand our freedom in Christ. 
And, we're, and, and you see that a little bit today, but back then, the Jews persecuted the believers because the believers had freedom. The Jews always wanted the bondage. It's like, why, you know, it, and again, it goes back to why do you want to go underneath that legal system of being bondage to a list of rules and regulations you could never keep? What's the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. Send them away. Don't be part of that. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. What's that? Notice sort of what Paul is saying here. How do you become an heir of salvation? Through the law of bondage or through faith promise? And here's a question. When we get to heaven, are there going to be some of us there by faith and some by works? No. It's not a mixed deal. It's not, well, you know, if you want to be saved, just keep the law, or else, you know, you can believe over here, but you'll both get to heaven. Uh-uh. So then, brethren, we're not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. We're not under bondage. Then chapter 5, he's points to this practical section. I'd like to see if how far we get through five so we can at least catch up a little bit where we ought to be. St uh, yeah, John. John. I don't mean this as derogatorily as it's going to sound, but uh, you mean the Pope, the Pope, the head of the Catholic Church will not be in heaven? Nope. And all good Catholics won't be there. If by good Catholic you mean they do what the Catholic Church says. It's not that alone, is it? Yeah. See, see, there's two questions. Number one, who is Jesus? Now, do they have the right answer on who Jesus is? Catholicism. On who he is. Yeah. yeah, he's God, right? I mean, they believe that. I mean, they do. So they got that right. But the next question is, what did he do for me? And Catholicism says, well, all he did is give me a kickstart in my salvation, but it's up to me to make it happen. They don't realize they believe that, but in fact, that's what they believe. They don't. Right. But then you ask, what do you mean by that? And we start asking, what do you mean by that? Then all of a sudden it starts flushing out all of this stuff about, well, is it, is it faith alone? No, no, I got, I got to do this and I got to do that and I got to, I got to add this and I got to add that. And they don't know what will happen. And, and yeah, there's never any assurance. There's never any hope. But, but the point is, and, and see, this is the thing to understand with Catholicism, and I, I don't want to pick on Catholics just to pick on them. I mean, I'm not trying to pick on a Catholic as a person. I'm saying when you look at the system of theology, when you look at their dogmas, their doctrine, what they teach, they teach a non-saving faith. And therefore, they will not be in heaven if they really believe what it is the Catholic Church tells them. Because the Catholic Church says, see, see, in the Catholic Church, I gotta understand, how is a person redeemed in a Catholic Church? 
Well, when you're born, you're born with original sin. All right? And uh, at, at baptism in the Catholic Church, when you're christened or baptized, that is an act of grace. In other words, what they would say is through these sacraments that you do, and that would be baptism, penance, um, holy orders, divine unction, or seven of these things, that grace is at mass, it's actually conferred. It's, an, it's a means whereby grace is conferred to you. They get it off from their traditions and their teachings. But they would say grace is conferred. So as so, let's say you're, you're a Catholic, in their system of belief, when you were baptized as an infant, grace was conferred to you, which removed your original sin. All right? Which means as, as a baby, if you die, you do not go to a place called limbo. See, they've got to have another place called limbo, because if you die without, with original sin, you can't go to the presence of God. You still got original sin, so <clears throat> you have to be baptized. Now, in order to be baptized, of course, you got to be a member in good standing with the Catholic Church and pay your dues and all that other stuff. So they sort of, sort of got you over a barrel in that one. But grace is conferred, and as long as you commit no mortal sin, that grace remains alive. And what is a mortal sin? Well, adultery, the big ones, the big baddies. You know, they got venial sins and mortal sins. And if you commit a mortal sin, grace is killed. And if you die in a mortal sin, you go to hell. All right? So what you have to do is, if you have to commit that mortal sin, you have to go through the penance in order to have grace reconferred on you to get rid of that so that you then can get on with your spiritual pilgrimage. What about the individual acts of sin you commit? Well, those have to be dealt with through your own penance and through a few million years in purgatory. So what they would say is that Christ did not die. Christ's death was not sufficient to give you complete salvation. It just got you kick-started. But if you're going to be saved, it's you and Christ. Christ will take care of the original sin piece. You've got to deal with your own sin. And the way you deal with your own sin is through penance, through all of this stuff that they tell you to do. And through purgatory. I don't know. They got it from the apocryphal books. You know, it's, it's definitely in there. But it's a works righteousness system. See? It's a works righteousness system. So when, when, when you talk to a Catholic, and this is what, what fries me on this, uh, there's a document, Evangelicals and Catholics Together, the ECT document. Um, they, they, they write a bunch of evangelicals like Chuck Colson and that, and a bunch of Catholics wrote this document, and they said, we agree that a person is saved by faith, through grace, on account of Christ. All right? They say that. We're saved by grace, through faith, on account of Christ. Now, can, now do you believe that? Does a Catholic believe that? They believe that statement. Those words put together, they believe. All right? However... When you come along and, and you put another word in there, now that, that splits them up. When you put the little word alone in there, now all of a sudden they say, oh, I can't believe that. When you say, I'm saved by grace through faith on account of Christ alone. Nope. See? So, you got, so the, the thing I'm trying to tell you is just because someone says, I believe in Jesus, doesn't really mean they believe in Jesus. 
And just because they say, I believe that Christ died for my sins, doesn't mean they really believe that Christ died for their sins, the way the Bible says. Um, I have some wonderful Mormon neighbors, and she says that she believes that Jesus Christ died for her sins on the cross. But now you've got to ask her, well, what do you mean by that that you said? And all of a sudden you find out, well, she means something totally different than what we would understand. And that's why this notion of the gospel is such an issue today, I think, is because we're selling out on this whole notion. You've got Christians today that says, you know, this whole Reformation was just a bad idea from the start. Well, they don't understand what saving faith is. Catholicism says, I am saved by faith and my works. The Bible says you're saved by faith alone. And that's a very big, distinctive difference. So if you, and this goes back to our question early on in the class. Can you come to Christ if, I'm, if at the get-go you say, I'm saved by faith and works, can you truly be born again? I don't think so. Now, I had an aunt who was very good to me when I was growing up. She's my great aunt, wonderful lady, one of the nicest ladies you'll ever meet this side of glory. She was a devout Roman Catholic. And I remember going through high school, witnessing to her on multiple occasions, and she never could understand that it was faith alone. She always thought, well, look at what I have done. It doesn't that matter? And I try to say, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. And she kept saying, yeah, but it, it does matter because of what I have done. No, it doesn't matter. And I got hung up on this. And it is, it's something you really need to... So, so the question is, is the Pope saved? No. No, he is not. He may think he is, but he is not. Because it's faith and works. And the very fact that he would be seriously thinking about making Mary Coverdemptrix as icing on the cake. Because that tells you he really doesn't know at all anything about salvation. Making Mary Coverdemptrix. In other words, he would, there's a movement in the Catholic Church that would make Mary as much your Savior as Jesus. In other words, you're saved not only through faith in Christ, but faith in Mary. If you don't have faith in Mary, you're hell-bound. And, and they want to make that a doctrine of the Church. I think they already have. You can go in almost any church, Catholic church, and go through some of their pamphlets. You can get some pamphlets on Mary, and you would think Mary died on the cross. The way they write well, I mean, the whole idea of the Immaculate Conception means that Mary did not have sin. She didn't have sin. And of course, they also teach that Mary had no other children, and that James and John, they were just his cousins. They weren't really his brothers. So, I mean, you know, you've got a system there. And see, that's the distressing thing. Understand, when I talk about, I'll be very honest, when I went in class, I'll rip on some of these other systems. But I'm ripping on what they believe, not on the people in them. The people in them are deceived. They don't know any better. You know, so it's not like, well, you just hate Catholics. No, I don't hate Catholics at all. But the system that Catholicism believes in is a damning system. And it's, boy, I'll tell you, it's a scary thing. Is Mother Teresa in heaven? I mean, I heard somebody talking about how Mother Teresa now is in heaven. I about drove off the side of the road and met God myself when they said that. Mother Teresa was a devout Roman Catholic. 
And if you ask Mother Teresa, if you stand before God and he was to ask you why he would let you in heaven, what would you say? She certainly would not say, by faith alone. It was for salvation. And, and you, don't, you know, there's a lot of good books out there. A lot of resources will help you understand that. They've got a Roman, they got a, um, there's a Catholic website with their doctrines on it. Um, see, that's, that's one of the things that I would encourage you to do. Don't take my word for what they believe. Go find out what they believe by letting them tell you. And uh, you will find that they believe with this. They, they, they actually, they, in fact, the one website I went to, and um, I think it's IHSV.org, um, and uh, they, have a doc, they have a documentary called um, Luther's Responsible for Sending More People to Hell Than Anyone Else in the, that Ever Lived, Martin Luther. They would say Martin Luther is in hell, and he, anybody who believes anything he says is in hell with him. Why? Because we believe in faith alone. And so, to a Catholic, to a good Catholic, we are all damned because we believe in faith alone. They do exegetical whiz-bangery and backflips and handsprings and explain it away. It, it, to them, it's not faith alone. It's what I do. Don, you're... Mm -hmm. I wanted to do that. Ignore all the stuff I slopped all over myself just now. Um, uh, I'm sorry, Dad. I was too busy wiping my shirt off. It's not. Catholicism is not Protestant. Everybody else is because we protest. We protest the Catholic Church. We protest it. And, and, and you've got to understand, you know, here's the problem. When you talk about this, people say, ah, you're just splitting hairs. You're trying to be a problem. You're, 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 you're you know, come on. They love Jesus. Get, you know, have a big group hug. Um, look, if you get, if you get, this answer wrong, i.e., who is Jesus and what did he do for me, you're not going to heaven. You're not. Yeah, absolutely you fight for it. Absolutely. You know, and what I've seen a day is I get annoyed when I see people like Chuck Colson who blindly write these documents and sign away the, 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 the Reformation. They say, you know, maybe we should think about going back under the Catholic Church. You know, I want to say, what are you, you're just naive. You don't even know what it is you're saying. I'll tell you how bad it was. It was back in the Middle Ages. If you believed that the physical, literal body and blood of Christ was not in a mass, they burned you at the stake. I mean, you know, don't, this, this is not a game, folks. This, this, is, this, is, this is serious. Now, we can argue about how many heavens there... You know, I told my, my neighbor last night when we were talking about some of these things, I said, 
you know, we can banner back and forth on, you know, how many heavens there are and this and that and the other thing. And that's not really the issue. The issue is who is Jesus and what does he do? All this other stuff is peripheral, you know. But we do in the church today is we fight over all this other junk and we sell away the, the farm on this idea of justification by faith. Now, we'll argue about how whether we should go see a movie or not. And then we sell out the gospel by, by saying that, well, basically, if you believe in Jesus and his death, burial, and resurrection, you're saved. Well, see, Mormons believe that, and Jehovah Witnesses believe that, and Catholics believe that. So they're all going to heaven? Well, no. What do you mean by what, by what you just said? What do you mean by faith? What do you mean by believing in Christ? What do you mean by what he did? Those are some very serious and important questions. And it's not splitting hairs. It's, it's eternally determinative. We need to fight for that stuff. And it's his fault we're not getting into chapter 5. Yeah. And I don't think that's just talking about Satan that says, you know, no. witchcraft. I think there's going to be a ton of people who honestly thought they were going to heaven and honestly thought, and by our standards, sometimes we might even think, too, if I mean, we didn't, weren't sound in our faith, might even say that. See, that's what I. That's what I told my neighbor last night. I was, I was talking to her, and I said, you know, you've got to understand something. See, she's convinced that God sent them next to us to live for a reason. She, you know, so now, now, in her mind, it was that they could convert us to Mormonism. All right. In my mind, it's so that we could help her see who Christ is. But I was talking to her. I said, you know, you need to understand that, you know, this is not an issue for me because I want you to come to my church, or I want you to join my denomination. And it's not that I want to just win an argument for the sake of winning an argument. But that if I really believe what I believe and I do, you don't have a very good eternity. You know, you're, you're basically going to be in the lake of fire forever. Now, if I'm wrong in your system, all right, I die, I go, I, I go to you know, to the spirit world, and I find out, well, gee, Mormonism was right after all, so if I just get somebody to be baptized for me, I'm in. You know, I mean, I'm simplifying it a little bit, but they believe in salvation for the dead. You know, a dead person can be saved. So I said, in your system, you know, no big deal, all right, you know, I was wrong all my life, but I'm not going to burn forever. But the Bible says, if you come any other way, you're a thief and a robber. And um, I said, to me, it's not winning an argument. I, I think we need to keep it that way. We're not out to win an argument. Yeah.
know a lot about the Bible and that our quote unquote Christians are so much harder to witness to than people. Oh, they are. Blue. They are. They are. Um, it's, you know, we, we need to understand that there's a few things in Scripture that we have to die for. And the person and work of Christ is one of those. You can't foul that up. You can't, you can't give that doctrine away. And we do that. We do that. Um, we're not going to get to chapter 5 tonight. But um, it's, his, it's Don's fault. Because um, I really want to spend a little bit of time there. We'll, we'll catch up somehow. I got I got an extra some extra weeks and I'm not done yet. So no. but uh, we'll, we got some extra weeks in Ephesians. We'll 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 catch up. Um, a couple extra there. But I think, um, for example, let's give another example. Of, you know, the whole promise keepers movement. I don't know where y'all land on that, but it get, it scares the daylights out of me. Um, and the reason is very simple, is that they've made a statement that. Uh, Anybody who believes the Apostles' Creed, as far as they are concerned, are a believer. Now, does anybody in here know the Apostles' Creed? Lutherans do. I believe in God the Father, etc., etc., etc. It's pretty short. It's good, and it's very orthodox. It's all true. But let me ask a question for those of you who do maybe know the Apostles' Creed. Does it mention anything at all about the substitutionary atonement of Christ in it? No, it doesn't. It doesn't mention anything at all about how a person is truly born again. So can a Catholic believe the Apostles' Creed and not be born again? A Mormon can believe the Apostles' Creed and not be born again. Um, see, just because a person says they believe in Jesus, and, and like you, know, you said earlier, well, you know, they believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, that doesn't, a New Ager believes in that. Yeah, they can believe in that. But they don't attach to it the significance. And, that's what, and I think that's what we do when we sell short the gospel. If somebody says, what is the gospel to you? And you say, well, it's just believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Well, there's a whole bunch of other questions you need to ask, like, why did he die? You know, um, what was different about his death than my death? And uh, why was he buried? And what does it mean, resurrected? Does it mean physical? Does it mean spiritual? What does it mean? And when you start answering those questions, you understand what the gospel is. John, you were going to say something? Yeah. I think you have to be careful there, too, because God doesn't sit up there like a teacher making sure that you get nine out of ten questions no. answered correctly. No. Do you, uh, do you understand, you say, the Apostles' Creed? Uh, do you know about this? Do you know? I don't think he does that. No, but what I do believe is that you cannot go in, if, can you be saved and not have a complete understanding of who Jesus is? Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest, I've been a Christian for 32 years and I still don't have a complete understanding of who he is. I know he's God. 
I know he's sinless. I know he died for me. Now, there's a lot of maybe other things about him I can't sort out yet. I know those things. That's the important issue. I don't think you can come in and be a Christian and believe that Jesus is no different than any other person. Or that he was not born of a Virgin Mary. I mean, there's some things that, that you absolutely cannot sell out. And it has to do with the personal work of Christ. Barb, you're going to say something. I'm just going to say, um, I know that we, uh, we have to realize that as, as sinners, we come, come into contact with God. We're not perfect. We're not No. I mean, it goes back to a question we had in theology, if you remember, I asked you. I said, you need to understand and have an orthodox view of the Trinity to be saved. And what was our answer? Does anybody remember what our answer was? No. The answer was no. Because we don't understand... I can't explain the Trinity to you now. All right? I, I, what we did answer is this. You need to know that Jesus is God. He's not a created being. He is God. All right? Now, you may not understand, well, what is a Trinity? You may not even know what the word is. You know that Jesus is God. All right? Um, there's a lot of things, theologically, that are very deep that we're not going to not only probably sort out in this life, we probably won't figure out in eternity. But there are some things that we have to know. Jesus is God. He died for me. He took my place. He paid it all. Not He didn't make the down payment. He paid all of it. And all I have to do is accept that by faith, not by anything I do, not by my works, but just believe what he said. And he imputes to me his righteousness. And Maybe 50 years later, I'll start understanding what some of that means, but at that moment in time, I know very little. But all I do is believe. And he adds the rest. Yeah. To believing to make it to appropriate and that's the and that's the difference between intellectual faith and saving faith I mean I can believe a series of facts about Jesus but until I actually place my faith and trust in those facts I'm not a Christian just as the devils believe and tremble but they're certainly not redeemed so you know these are important issues important questions to think through but anyways we'll quit here and um, pick up with Galatians 5 next week so, yeah, Barb. That's right. That's what. Thank you for reminding me to announce that. We're having an open house in a an open house in the sense that bring a friend.
They can sit in for free. In fact, quite honestly, you can bring a friend anytime you want, so it doesn't matter to me any. But there's a special night where you bring a friend. They're going to have a chapel, and Gordon Fawcett will be here next week. So, same time, same, yeah. Sixth. See, I'm, I'm, I'm coming in, I'm thinking, I'm pretty good. i got 20 minutes before class starts, and I come in, and everybody's waiting. Oh, jeez. Oh, well. Yeah, it'll be a short, it won't be all night. So. And we'll finish up Galatians next week. Hopefully, I'll have the test ready for you. Whenever I hand the test out, it's just due the next week. So, whatever that is. So, let's close in prayer. Father, thanks for this time and for the time of studying. We've dealt with a lot of issues here, and some are pretty difficult. I pray that you give us understanding. We just thank you for all that you have done in Christ's name. Thank you for listening. This podcast was made in part with creative consulting and production assistance by Third Mass Studio. For your production needs, send an email to thirdmassstudio at gmail.com. For other lectures in this series and more biblical media resources, visit theopenword.org.